Hello everyone and welcome to Corico's very own property podcast. My name is Andrew Montlake, you can call me Monty of course, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This week we're going to cover a range of issues, talking about the return of first-time buyers, whether mortgage rates are going to rise, how mortgage lenders set their rates, open banking and how banks can compete for customers in a digital world. My guest today is Brad Fordham, a luminary in the mortgage world, very well respected for his views on the industry, especially from a lender's point of view. And he holds the role of Mortgage Distribution Director for Spanish giant Santander. This is the Corico Property Podcast. So, as I said, my guest today is Brad Fordham from Santander, the Mortgage Distribution Director. Brad, welcome. Yes, thanks, Monty. So, do you want to, first of all, just for everyone listening, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do? What is it, what's a Mortgage Distribution Director? Um, sometimes I get the pleasure of talking to people like you. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Obvious the, pleasure. That's the rubbish bit of the job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, no, that's the kind of enjoyable bit is coming out and about and talking to intermediaries, um, doing this sort of thing, lender panels at different conferences and such like. Um, and then part of my time is spent, um, I guess, uh, internally in the bank. So I look after um, the intermediary division, uh, which you'll know, you know, Paul Adams, Paul, Paul heads up our yep. intermediary distribution teams. Um, the BDMs and the TBMs and such like, um, and also look after our telephony direct proposition. So customers who call us directly, okay. be that for new business, changing their contract yeah. or terms, you know that kind of thing, and also retentions um, uh, falls under my. So room. the whole the whole gamut. So really, yeah, a bit of then. yeah, bit of intermediary and yeah. a bit of uh, direct. Very good. See ya told you he's a very important man <laughs> um so um well since our last episode the uh bank of england's monetary policy committee have met and although they voted for no change on bank base rate by nine nil actually uh we've noticed that the rhetoric has changed with a pretty bullish assessment of the likely path of interest rates it looks more likely that there could be a rise in may um, I've seen that swap rates have continued their rise and mm. I noticed that two-year money is now back over 1% again for the first time in around two years, by yeah. my reckoning. Uh, do you see rate rises and inevitability and, and when do you typically look to increase rates? Um, what, within the cycle of when they're announced or yeah. just generally? It's, I, a, it's, it's a good question, I think. Um, and it's it's not an exact science ever, really. Um, but But clearly swap rates for us have a have an indicative kind of forward-looking view of mm. our funding costs, you know, um, obviously. Um, therefore, increasing swap rates puts pressure on new business margins um, and and therefore you will always look across the market to see, A, whether or not an increase is, is applicable at that time. We need to weigh up, you know, A, what we want to do in new business volumes and mm. how competitive we want to be against the margins that we need to... Um, we need to achieve in in new business so um it's a balancing act i think you've already seen um over the last couple of weeks some of our competitors move yeah, that's right um do we, you wait for that is it is it tit for tat i'd, I'd like to think we do <laughs> it doesn't always work out yeah. like that sometimes it does and and you saw probably back end of last year on on the remortgage side where we were um we had a little bit of a plan and we were a little bit fortunate in the timing 
whereby when we repriced others had already moved and so therefore yeah. you you get that kind of little golden period for a couple of weeks where you know you're going to price you're going to price in an increase mm-hmm. um but you can hold on for a couple of weeks and, and and take a nice chunk of volume so um we tend but but in our governance we tend to look at uh, new business pricing once a month and internal transfer pricing once a month. Right, but so every okay. two weeks, it's either internal trans internal transfers, yeah. product transfers, or um, or or new business. And I guess um, the amount of business you're getting in also has an impact in terms of your service levels. Because one thing Santander's always been good at, yeah, is a service. Yeah, we're always conscious of that. Um, so there are times where you're you tend to have your your servicing guys and underwriting and. And those and those guys who are processing the business, um, they'd prefer you to to bring in the business the same amount every week, week in week yeah. out for the whole year, obviously, because it's easier to to forecast what resources you need mm. and such like. Um, but it doesn't always work out. And if you see an opportunity in the market, um, and uh, you know you want you want to make a play in that, like we did at the back end of last year, you need to make sure that your your back end um, processing is, is in such a place that you can service that demand. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you would have seen, and everybody would have seen last year, um, that the fact that we had some great rates out, which is great for the consumers, particularly on remortgage last year. Um, but it causes some knock on effect, particularly around conveyancing yeah. and some of the issues we have. Don't get me started on conveyancing. <laughs> no. You'll have to, you'll have the bleep button going on. <laughs> we can cut the interview early. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, we've covered that a, a number of times. Oh, sure. um, I might come back to that. Actually. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, if you want the, to. Um, and uh, actually, t- talking about rate increases, at the end of this month, I believe, we're seeing the end of the government's term funding scheme. Yes, yeah, so you that- can still draw down up until the end of this month. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so is that going to have a knock-on effect on, on rates, do you um, think? I, I think for certainly funding costs for lenders, yes, it will. Um, you're able to draw down a, a proportion of your book plus any incremental net lending that you make over the year. So, um, you know, we've we've had a particularly strong last two or three months, A, partly linked to the Remo campaign at the back end of the year. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're able to draw some down at that point, and then that's it at the end of the month. Um, I think typically funding costs from looking at TFS against what you what you would typically borrow in the market against LIBOR currently probably looks like a 30 bips increase mm-hmm. from the, the difference, the differential between TFS right, and what you okay. borrow in the market for a lender like for a large lender like Santander. Yeah. So you, but it isn't that the, all, the whole book, of course, it's only a proportion of the funding. Um, over 80 percent of our book is funded by customer deposits. So, you know, our reliance on funding from the open market is 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 relatively limited. Yeah. Um so it has an effect, not not a huge effect, but it, it has an effect, yeah. And um on the subject of pricing generally, mm. um I know some existing borrowers find that they can sometimes attain rates that are very different to those offered to new borrowers. Um I mm. know I think it's it's something that uh, not just yourself, but quite a few um banks lenders do do you think that's something that's still fair and viable in in this day and age and and what's your what's your thought process behind that yeah so we we don't price differentially for existing customers if they're coming back and they're moving house so um you know typically i probably shouldn't say this but if you look at an existing customer just changing product i.e product transfer Typically, that would be more expensive. Ever, you know, I'm not, state, not giving away state secrets no. here. I hope you not sure anyway. you can say this? <laughs> we'll just, we'll just edit it out afterwards. <laughs> no, this doesn't get edited. This is, this is it. <laughs> um, so no, so I mean, you know, everybody yeah. in the market knows this that 
with uh, with a product transfer, generally they're priced slightly higher than new business. Yeah. So actually, existing customers just changing product um, would would likely pay a little bit more than the cheapest rate in the market. It's mm-hmm. fair to say, and and more expensive than our new business rates. Um, I think that's because of generally the the hassle factor um, of remortgaging and whether you're going uh, you know how much you want to borrow and whether you're going to get that loan in your current circumstances. So there's always that 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 bit of pricing differential built in. But when it comes to an existing customer, say moving home and coming back to us, mm. we don't price differently for those customers. Um, s- some do, and you know I think we have done in the past a little bit off on yeah. fees and stuff like that. I know some of our competitors do a little bit of that, um, but generally we don't. Um, but and and generally we don't price differently according to channel. Although um, we, I think you will start to see that, and we have done a little bit of that historically on on uh, on our digital channels so yeah. the customers who come to us directly online yeah. um execution only no advice uh, because the cost of sale is so much cheaper th- for the bank yeah. you pass that saving on to the customer and uh so you look after both obviously direct and yeah and intermediary have you have you seen a, a there's been a move generally towards intermediary business it seems that clients have voted with their feet and they prefer to do yep. to deal with intermediaries i yep. would say that obviously course, brad's yeah. smiling and, but ironically it's, but it's true but it's true um what about the your your online venture how have you seen people wanting to engage in that is it yes. done better or worse than, yeah. than you envisaged so it's, it's quite an interesting one because at different parts of the process um customers do different things so for, for example you have some customers who go all the way through end to end digitally won't have even spoken to us at all yeah um and um execution only they know what they want and, and typically that tends to be more remo type business um it's fair to say the mix is, yeah. is higher on the remo side as you'd expect customers already borrowed before they understand the process yeah may not be borrowing any more money yeah but you do get some buyers do get some first-time buyers surprisingly really? yeah um who don't want advice who, um, Why would a first-time buyer not want advice? It's I, a good, I just don't get it's it. It's a good question. Um, I think it's where... I'm not expecting you to know the answer, but no, it's but, just but, a... But the demographic are younger first-time buyers right. for us online. So they are clearly comfortable with technology, and I think that's a lesson yeah. that we can all kind of learn from, which we would you'd expect that yeah. anyway. Um, so, yeah, so as, as I say, it, it's, it's interesting because then some do the decision in principle online, and then they elect for advice from us, clearly advice only on Santander yeah. products, yeah. but they then want some advice around type of product, term, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So we see, you know, it's different for each, for each type of customer. So we see that. And what we've seen is, you're right, we haven't seen a lot of movement in terms of the mix of customers, i.e. intermediary versus direct. So, you know, for us, it's not like we're winning customers and customers are wanting to come to us directly as opposed to the to, to go and see a broker. But what we are seeing is a move from customers who historically would have gone into a branch um, are transacting with us directly right. okay. online. Yeah. Uh, and our <clears throat> telephony channels yeah. um, are So people who traditionally busier. didn't use a broker anyway. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair yeah. to say. That's fair to say. Okay. Um, and uh, actually, for on first-time buyers, we've, we've sort of seen a, a welcome return, really, to the first-time buyers to the market, so some of the reports. Mm. Um do you get a sense, however, that they're still struggling with affordability and uh, a lender's doing enough to help them, specifically on first-time buyers? Yeah, it, that's a really good question because on the one hand, from a risk perspective side, you've got a customer that's never had a mortgage before. Mm. So, you know, typically, if you look across the market at most lenders, most lenders are lending up to about five times income multiple. Yeah. 
broadly is the maximum. Some do a little bit more, but but generally, let's say five. Um, and probably you'll find at the higher LTV end, and also with some for first-time buyers like ourselves, they'll limit the income multiples that will be lower than five. So it might be say say four and a half, something like that. So therefore, actually, you're lending less to your first-time buyers than you would be a repeat a repeat so mover. Yeah. yeah. Um, so from a credit risk perspective, is that right? It, it probably is because you know that's the first time they've taken a mortgage. Yes, you can prove affordability. Mm. But it's the first time they're going to have their own house and uh, and their own bills and all those other things where they might have rented. But 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 there'll be that aspect of the first time first time having a mortgage. So probably right from a credit risk perspective. Mm. Um, and I, but I think you know on, on the on the other side to that, you would have seen at the weekend some of the stats that come out around, um, particularly in London and the southeast, the the multiple of income to the house price, yes. which is you know twelve thirteen times yeah. or whatever it is in. Yeah. In London, around that figure, which clearly for first-time buyers in in London and the southeast is making it incredibly difficult, unless you've got the help of bank and mum and dad. Yeah. Um, outside of London, uh, you know we're seeing more first-time buyer activity. Um, we're busier on first-time buyers uh, back end of last year, beginning of this year. Yeah. Out, outside of London, in London, it's I think it's a little bit more of a struggle. Yeah. Are you seeing is your uh, the help to buy um, products are they? Yeah, so going pretty well. Um, Again, yes. probably outside London rather than in London. Yeah, for sure. So, um, because of the limit in London of, of the six hundred. Yeah. Um, albeit you can you can borrow a bit more in terms of the overall percentage on the equity loan. But yeah, we we've had a really busy back end of the year, beginning of the year on on new build, in particular on help to buy. Um, about half of the business that we do on new build is help to buy, mm. and about eighty percent of those. Help to buy customers are first-time buyers. Mm. Um, I, you know, as we I think many times discussed before over the last couple of years, it seems to be that those first-time buyers are able just to buy something that you know probably would have been their second purchase because of the help to buy assistance yeah. in some in some occasions or in some situations. So do you get a sense that actually lenders are ready for when help to buy goes, and then you haven't got that 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 help? Are there are there enough lenders willing to? lend at 95% yeah, I, when that goes? I think lenders are ready. I'm not sure builders are ready <laughs> <laughs> or want to be ready. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've had 95% products um, and we, we withdrew from the first help to buy scheme, the mortgage guarantee, yeah, yeah. and did it ourselves because yeah. actually from a commercial perspective, it made, it made sense, sense for us to for us just to take that risk ourselves. Yeah. Um, so I think we are. I think that the thing is what's happened with help to buy is it's meant in the market lenders have ended up pricing at basically seventy five percent LTV. So whilst whilst the customer is borrowing ninety five percent, albeit twenty percent from the government, um, that effectively they're a five percent deposit customer. Mm. Um, but they've managed to get a twenty percent equity loan, which they're not paying anything for the first few years, and their mortgage from the bank, seventy five percent of the of the of the value, is at seventy five percent prices. Right. Yeah. So for their affordability, will be at the bank assessed the affordability. Yeah. You know, at a different level, but at their affordability, it becomes that much more affordable. So I think the lenders will be ready, whether first-time buyers uh, uh, and the builders will be ready because at ninety-five percent um, lending, it's more expensive. Clearly. Yeah. Um, okay. Very good. So that made uh, sense. That made sense. Good. Yeah. To my limited brain, that made sense. <laughs> so if I understand it, hopefully others will understand it. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. So do you think... Uh, uh, 
I let this come in under criticism quite a lot. Okay. Sometimes unfairly because your hands are tied by regulation. I think everyone gets that. Yeah. Um, but it does definitely seem that that the risk departments have been in control for for a while now. Do you think lenders are still too risk averse, or is it just that do you know what my hands are tied, and uh, and and now I can't I can't really change things like certainly not affordability. But there are other areas of the market in terms of self-employed contractors, certainly around age. Yeah, where perhaps lenders could be doing a little bit more. Um. Yes and no. So I think um, part of it is our hands are tied. And I'm not just saying this, I'm being really honest, that, that MMR and affordability mm. um, has meant that it's it's much more transparent about lenders' lending policies and how they assess affordability. And, you know, most brokers and probably customers don't know this, but mo- most brokers broadly know that lenders are stressing at, say, something like 3%, with the direction from the PRA, yeah. 3% above their follow-on or, or, yeah. or, or standard variable rate. So you know then broadly, most lenders are stressing at 6 7% um, yeah. affordability, which builds in some protection for the consumer. And I think that's key and that's really, really mm-hmm. important. Because you hear a lot of noise, um, for, you know, a lot from brokers as well. Yeah, absolutely. They say, oh, yeah, but customers can afford it. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've been paying this much in rent and this is the yeah. amount that the mortgage payment is. And you're like, yeah, but, but that's today. And, and we have to think about tomorrow. Mm. And we have to think about tomorrow for the customer. So... Um, so I think I think you know there's some noise around the market. Um, I think uh, I think brokers generally get it though in terms of we're building that affordability. And then the other thing is, from a PRA perspective, is the income multiple. So you can only lend 15% of your loans yeah. in a volume uh, above four and a half times income multiple. Mm. So if you if you relax your affordability, and it means you lend more to more people, you'll fall foul of the 15% yeah. rule, and then you'll have to you have to draw it back and. I know talking to a lot of my lender colleagues, that's the one thing as a, a headache to manage because you're, yeah, you're looking at it every day yeah. and looking at your three-month and your 12-month trend. So to a degree, yes. I think your second point around later life age yeah. lending is a good well, one. We're seeing so much more of that in terms of, of clients age 55, even 60. Yeah. Uh, they just uh, they don't want to move. They don't want to sell their house. They, they, no. they're, good, they're working longer. They, yeah. they feel... They can continue to yeah. afford to pay a mortgage. It's strange that though, isn't it? Because when they apply, a lot of the time, the repayment vehicle sale of property, when it comes to selling the property, they don't want to sell no, the property. No, I know. Exactly. And I, I get yeah. that because probably we we're talking about this the other the other day just from an age perspective as as you yeah. get a little bit older as I'm uh, uh, as I'm experiencing. <laughs> You're but younger than me, I think. Birthday last Friday. <laughs> racing no, racing towards the big five oh. <laughs> um what you do is actually you you become a little bit more conservative mm. generally as you get a bit older and actually you don't like change so when you're 30 or 40 you come in and you're moving house and you think yeah I'm moving house and what we've seen from a consumer perspective is then when you get to say 50 or 50 plus and you know you're then thinking about retirement and you said yeah actually we'll sell when we move down and your kids get a bit older and then potentially got grandkids mm. and you think well actually I don't want to move house now mm. I've been here 15 years or I like it here you know things that you and me. You, yeah. know, we, the, it's, you yeah. can understand that. So I can see why the demand's there. I'm I'm not sure. You know, it's a great space to be that we just keep lending further and further into age. I think I think yes. I think there's an element and there's a market for that. And I think we need something. And we are looking at this. And I'll I'll talk about it in a little more detail if you want to. Um, we need we need an alternative to just the equity release market. Yeah. 
agree with that. Uh, so I think that's that's definitely true. Um, and I so think some kind of come. bridge between the two, I, I the think two so, areas. Yeah. I think I think that's what the market probably needs. Yeah, not definitely. a huge amount of it, but it needs yeah. something. But also, we need to think about, you know, bank of mum and dad is is a reality, and actually, going back to first time buyers, if you're lucky enough to be in the southeast and your parents have done okay out of property, just by moving house, etc., and property prices, then you're more likely to be able to have been given something. But we need something more that enables. People, if they want to trade down, they can trade down or release that equity mm. to give to the kids, so that it gets people on the it gets people on the ladder. So, um, so, I th- but I think in that later life space, it's not about the credit risk; it's more about the conduct risk. Yeah. So okay. for lenders, you know what you what you don't want, as an example, is say I say, well, this couple are sixty; they're both retired, their pension income's good, and they can afford to repay this mortgage. And then, unfortunately, husbands say becomes ill and dies and say his pension was was the the bigger pension yeah suddenly the remaining partner can no longer afford the mortgage based upon one pension income and you're on the front of the daily mail because you're 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 repossessing <laughs> their property yeah yeah that's, you, that's that is the worry yeah. it's more around the conduct we do than it get is. that i think people do understand that um but there, there's there's definitely i've always been a big advocate of of a loan should be predicated on affordability and whether that's building in the likelihood of one person dying and then being able to afford it going forward rather than having a an age limit per se. I've yeah. never liked the fact that there's got to be an upper age limit. No, but I Just, think that's born out of historically the I guess the aspiration was get your mortgage paid off before you retire. Yes. Yeah. And and circumstances in the market have driven us to a different place. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm not. I don't think that's necessarily that's good. It would be better, I'm sure, for everybody if you could pay your mortgage off before you retire yeah. and be in a better place. But we're not in that place. Mm. Um, so yes, I think there's a market for it. Yes, I think lenders will eventually. Um, you'll start to see, and you've already started to see a little bit of that. I think you will see more of that, and I think you're right. Probably there's that bridge bit um, between equity release and where we are today. Very good. Just a reminder, you're listening to uh, the Property Podcast from Corico Professional Mortgage Brokers. Um, So I'm going to go back to the whole digital question. I know you love the digital thing. (laughs) And uh, I've I've heard that uh, there there are some lenders who who are sort of trying to move away from being called a bank. I've heard phrases like... uh, open digital financial services platform oh, where you heard that from uh, somewhere just <laughs> i don't know somewhere um what do you think that's banks are now they're, they're at a time where they have to reinvent themselves because of everything that's gone before because of the way that the customer customer requirements and how customers want to be treated um are moving from and, and what what do you think are your challenges as a bank to stay relevant yeah in the uh, uh for the new generation coming through yeah Good question. So I think there's probably a little bit about moving away from being a bank per se. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's, you know, the cynic in me would say that's just a little different language and just moving away from, I guess, uh, you know, some of the connotations of being, you know, banking and, yeah. and um, et cetera. So um, I think there's a little bit of that, but I do think what's relevant in, in this new world is um, how close you are to the customer. So you need to develop your digital technologies um, in line with what the customer expects. Yeah, absolutely. And customers are expecting more and more to be able to do more and more 
um, particularly simple transactions at the moment, yeah. simple transactions quickly, easily be identified quickly and be able to service that um, digitally through their phone yeah. you know, these days. So you need to you need to advance, but what you also need to do is to be able to stay close to the customer. So you know, for example, PSD two and open banking, yeah, um, the ability of third parties with the customer's authority to have access to their bank account data um, means that they can offer different products and services. Um, and I was at an offsite um, uh, with with the banker, uh, our CEO's offsite, a couple of weeks ago. Where we saw some examples of ING of already about Yelped. to launch, yeah, yeah. where mm. you know you, the customers, the customer has the ability to put all their banking relationships yeah. with them on their app. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge for ING will be okay when you've got that information, what do you do with it? Um, so obviously you can offer your own products and services from savings and banking, yeah. Um, uh, but how else do you monetize that? So you know, in effect, you become, you might be the main banking relationship. You might be a third-party provider as well, and then what products and services do you offer mm. off the back of it? Because the danger for banks, I think, the key danger, is we just become a utility. Absolutely. And and yeah. when you become a, a utility, and when, um, you know, pe- I guess when aggregators move into that space, which is which is a possibility, yeah. it becomes a race to the bottom on price for us, and that's not a place where we want no, to be. We want to absolutely. be able to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. So. Um, I think the key thing within the within the whole digital advancement will be remaining close to the customer and how and how we do that mm. and how intermediaries do that as well. I think that's an interesting point. I think a lot of people think tech. It, it, I find people going down the road of it's just it's got to be tech. It's just tech for tech's sake, really. Yeah. Rather than actually using tech to do the heavy lifting to 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 improve the customer journey, and that's yeah. got to be what it's what it's all about and i guess as a broker that's sometimes a frustration looking at uh, you as a lender and thinking well why why aren't apis readily available now yeah. why do i have to rekey information why yeah. does a customer need to send you their bank statements when there are things uh, in the offing like yeah. uh, mogo bank and yeah. and castlight and that yeah. type of thing why why hasn't it moved as as quick yeah i mean part of it and it's not you know it's not an excuse but but the legacy platforms and systems that we have in banks mean that the difficulty in, in getting those legacy systems to talk to one another and bolting new systems on if you're if you're starting from scratch yeah easy yeah to a degree it's easy because you you know th- those things you don't have any legacy that you need to talk to and where your existing databases are so that that's always going to be a problem for banks you know i, I think in, in that sense i do think we will start to see that this year though some movement in terms of api so i think the first integrations with apis will happen i really this year. hope so yeah. i think I, yeah. I really think it will and I think you'll start to see some of those services come in, um, particularly with open banking around, you know, customer information. The other problem for lenders, of course, so it's a problem. But but sometimes you don't want to see all the information. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit oh, strange. Do you know what? I had that notice as a point because I was at a meeting today and, and, and someone said exactly that. Part of the problem with open banking yeah. is that actually the lenders are seeing too much information. Yeah. Once you've seen that, you can't. You can't unsee no, it, and no. that's got to therefore it's affect a bit like your lending decision. Showing your phone to your wife, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm saying anything particular. My about wife you. doesn't even know I have a phone, <laughs> <laughs> or a second phone. Um, no, so in, in seriousness, how though, dare you? That's that's like a suable 
slur on my good nature. Um, no, so so, it, and it's a good analogy because yeah. if you showed your wife your phone, and you may be the you know the perfect husband that you are, Monty, yeah, there will be something in that phone she won't like, right? <laughs> Same as if you saw her phone, and it'll be how much she spent or something, or you know something like that. Oh, this or, is a very sexist analogy. Well, I think. well no, yeah. that's that's slightly <laughs> sexist. Well, it might be you know what a what a uh, kind of poor birthday yeah, present no, you exactly. might be getting yeah. or whatever. But there will you know yeah. the truth is there will be something there. If you look at it, it's like me with my kids, you know. Mm. If you looked, if I looked at my son's phone, there'd be something in there, and he's 18, he's at yeah. uni. I look at it and I think, oh, I don't really like that. But but you've seen it, yeah. and you can't unsee it. <laughs> and my right. eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's burning my eyes. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same for lenders to a degree. If you see someone's bank account information, you know everything about them. Yeah. You know, you know their spending habits, what they do. What do you do if you see your bank statement and you see you know, uh, bet three six a lot of bet three six fives. You then think, oh, actually, that's changing my perception of this customer. Mm. And you know, that's 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 quite a valid point. But I do think those technologies will help when we want that information. It's there and it's to hand very very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I hate this subject actually, but I'm going to ask you anyway because you're a Spanish bank. Okay. Um, Brexit, the whole Brexit shenanigans. Is that is is that more of an effect? For someone like Santander, than than it would be for um, for other no, banks. No, not really. Is it something that you've all worried about? Um, no, I don't think so. Because the group is made up of different countries. They're independent countries. We operate independently. We're not reliant upon uh, Madrid and the parent for funding. Okay. Um, and we have other countries and 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 independent banks within the group, as it were, um, outside of the EU. So in America, we're big in Latin America, in Brazil, Argentina, mm. Mexico, North America. Um, so no, not really. It's not. It's not an issue. I think you know for uh, you know the Anna Anna Botina, uh, our chair, has been quite open about it's not the vote the way the way they wanted the vote to go. Clearly, yeah. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, and, and we'll manage through. I think the the bigger concern for the bank. Will be some of the economic forecasts post Brexit. That's yeah. that's probably the bigger the bigger issue, not yeah. the fact of the vote, but just the the potential um, implications of the yeah. vote. If 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 you believe all the economic forecasts or not, and who knows until well, it happens. We could we could do a, an hour, I'm sure, on that. That's probably better with a with a few drinks inside us, and then we'll uh, maybe we should do a podcast, a, yeah. a drunk Brexit podcast. Maybe we'll invite Nigel Farage <laughs> along as well. <laughs> He probably can't. He'd come to anything, I think. Mm. Um, so finally, then, uh, so what are your general predictions for for two thousand eighteen? Where where do you see things things going? I've heard things. Uh, what it was about two hundred fifty five billion. Yeah, last year. So maybe two seventy in I the heard market. This year. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the bigger opportunity for say for brokers. Yeah, is is clearly the um, product transfer market. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, we, we saw when we launched proc fees for retentions in March last year, uh, a, a tick up. You're giggling already, aren't you? Oh, I am giggling. Um, yeah. We saw a tick up, as you'd expect, <laughs> in terms of retentions yeah. via brokers. But it, it equates to about, uh, you know, Rob Sinclair talks about a, a number of about 15% mm. done by brokers and 85 still direct. And yeah. that's, he's he's not far off the money, yeah. I think, in terms of that of that number. Um so there is there is a big opportunity for brokers uh, because um, if they if they if seventy percent of the new business market is broker related, 
then there's 70% of those mortgages, they have a relationship with the broker. So you'd expect the broker to be to be more involved mm. when those products come up for maturity. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, and I know the, uh, the, uh, the people on Twitter would, would not forgive me if I didn't ask. Um, the so the fees you pay obviously to a broker are are minuscule amounts compared yeah. to actually the broker's work because yeah. although it might be pressing a button for a, uh, on your side of things for us we still have to go through the proper advice process still have to set up a file yeah um, do you think that's that's something that is going to change in terms of the, the the broker's procuration fee on those or do you know what you're set you're comfortable and it's sort of yeah, That's the way I think it is. I think for us, um, so the 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 key thing for us is around the commercials, um, and the fact that we we don't pay you guys intermediaries to give advice to the customer. We pay for distribution. So um, for us, uh, the fact that you you give the client advice and you charge the client a fee, we see those two things inextricably linked. Clients right. are paying you for advice. Yeah, I think that's the way we view it. But we'll pay for the distribution. So you give us the business, we'll pay you a procuration fee. Um, when it came to the decision to pay proc fees last year, I guess we had our eye on two separate things. One was um, we want to retain more customers, clearly, because if you have an existing customer, it's cheaper to retain them to attract a new one from a processing perspective. Um, so therefore, we want to retain those customers. What we've seen over the course of the year is from a retention's perspective, we're not a million miles away from where we've always been. Um, so are we retaining more customers because we're paying uh, proc fees on retentions? Overall, are we retaining more? Um, it, it's marginal. Um, probably the bigger the bigger differentiator in that is, is price mm -hmm. rather than whether you're paying a proc fee. Um, but also there was a, an, I guess, what we were doing was uh, we were... Uh, looking at the new business market and having an eye on that and saying actually you know this is a license to trade in in a way it's a, it's a hygiene factor yeah to, to pay to pay yeah. proc fees on retentions yeah so the, and and effectively and i'm i don't i can't speak for other lenders but it's putting a cost into our business yeah for a benefit of an intangible benefit that actually yeah. brokers want to give you new business because they can then broke that business and if it's going back to Santander, they can do it and earn a proc fee. So, you know, I I kind of understand why you'd ask the question. I think, you know, from our perspective, we're pretty comfortable where it is. Yeah. Um, all we would do is put more cost into our business. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think actually there's there's an opportunity for you guys, albeit that it's a reduced proc fee. But also, if you're doing the work for the client in terms of researching the market, yeah. you're going to charge the client a fee. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 doing the work for the client, and all yeah. all, our, all we're interested in is the best. Yeah, the best outcome for the client, really. So I didn't know uh, whether to answer the question, but I picked up a pencil and I was just thinking about just like plunging. Well, that we into can your cut it if you draw that. Are you just, just, no, I'm joking. I'm absolutely joking. You're not. You're, he's now towering over me with a pencil. That's, that's a vicious looking pencil. No, you know, so. you know, you know, we. Sorry, we he didn't have to ask it. We, I just we, thought I'd take a chance. No, we try and be, we, we always try and be honest, and you know that's where we're at. So, no, I think that's um, what uh, I think brokers appreciate honesty, and uh, uh, as do consumers generally, and I think that's that's very important in our market. Yeah. Um, to make sure we're transparent and open and honest and Absolutely. As, as much as possible. Um, Arsenal. 
Yeah, ju- you got thirty seconds. I've I've really been happy to see the way that they've uh, uh, come down a few levels. Yeah, um, yeah. Win anything cup, this season? Got a cup final on Sunday, Monty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know it's more than don't Liverpool. Don't recall that Liverpool in one just yet. No. Um, but hey ho, you're well. We'll see. S- still in the FA Cup, aren't you? Yeah. No. Champions yeah, League, as well. You're in Champions, Champions League, League. Oh, yeah. 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 Might win that for a sixth time. You never yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in that mighty cup on a Thursday night <laughs> against uh, the Swedish Cup winners. We've done our time in that cup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Right. Anyway, before we launch into a football podcast, um, thank you very much, Brad. No, you're uh, welcome. Open, honest, revealing, and um, very humble. As ever. So thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next month for some more topical chat. And as ever, if you've got any comments or requests for topics or uh, even guests to come on the show, um, please feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can find us at at Corico or through the website at www.corico.co.uk. Until next time, thank you for listening.